it to a milestone uh, edition of the Developmental Podcast. This is number 20. I actually want to check on the website before we get it. So, Ed, can you believe it? We've made it to 20 episodes without just throwing the towel in and agreeing to uh, never speak to each other again. This is the Dos Equis episode. Dos, think, right? Yes, the Dos Equis episode. I could use a Dos Equis beer right now, I'll tell you that much. Uh, yeah, I bet. So, it sounds like you uh, you failed at cooking dinner or something. Oh, uh, yeah, right? we had a... Uh, um, Gordon Ramsay's kitchen nightmare thing going on in the kitchen today. I tried making a dish for the first time, and uh, I think the only nice way to say it is I totally fucked it up and ended up having to go buy pizza for everybody else who was over at our house for dinner. So it was an awesome experience. Well, they probably honestly liked that better than whatever you were going to come Well, no, with. see, they're smart, though. The, they're little kids, so they say the right things. Oh, I was looking forward to having this other thing. I'm like, boy, all of you have a good career ahead of you in politics because you know how to lie to adults. This is good. Oh, yeah, they want pizza. Why, a kid doesn't want whatever garbage you were going to feed them. Oh, garbage. Okay, yeah, um, chicken stew. Yeah, garbage. You're right, Ed. What was I thinking? It sounds like garbage. I don't know. Actually, that sounds pretty good, chicken stew. Just, what was in it? Uh, chicken, carrot, celery. Um, mm-hmm. I just so I just stew. I just fucked it up. That's all. Right. So you burned it. Did you? Did it accidentally spill on somebody's head? No. No. Nothing quite that. Um, tragic. That would have been hilarious. Uh, nothing one quite time, that tragic. Yeah. Go ahead. One time I was in junior high, and uh, just one time uh, I was in junior high, and we had those. We were in a cafeteria, and it had those big, like you know, those tables and benches that like fold out from the sides like in a gym right right okay which is weird i haven't seen any of those in a long time maybe because i haven't been in a lot of schools lately so i don't know if they still have those anymore or what but and this uh we had some kind of um viscous like bowl of viscous fluid that i guess was supposed to be some sort of stew or something like that and this kid had a tray uh, and he, he was walking behind this other kid. Cause you know, there's like these, you know, these thin sort of aisles you have to walk down to get there. And his bowl of this, uh, stuff, uh, got like poured down the back of another kid. And it's particularly, it's, it's good to remember that we were, it was a private school, like a Catholic school. So you had to like wear like these dress up shirts and stuff. Right. So imagine all these kids like that. And then this thing pours down his back and i don't remember if it was hot or not i don't know but anyway the kid started like like he almost sort of had like a conniption like he he started having a seizure or something um anyway is your school called our lady of delicate flower or something yeah basically i don't know the kid just started freaking out i can imagine why hot goop slapped on your back i mean when you're an adult you pay for women to do that to you but when you're a teenager it's not cool well what yeah it's when you're in junior high where you develop those emotional scars that turn into fetishes later in life. Um, on that note, on that note, uh, let's talk about our sponsor. Speaking of yes, emotional please. scars, we feel bad because we neglected to talk about them, but our awesome sponsor who gives us money that we actually, I, I mean, I don't know what Ed does with his part, but I actually, I put it back into trying to make sure I have a decent amount of um, equipment through which to record the podcast, but engine yard, uh, trailblazers and pioneers in the platform as a service industry, and especially yeah. our friends, uh, say hi to Eamon, Helgi, David Collier, and 
a whole bunch of Irish dudes who really know how to hold their liquor, who help run uh, Orchestra Dio, and oh yeah, and Davy Shafik as well. Um, yeah. So if you uh, if you do PHP stuff and or even if you do Ruby stuff as well, and I think they also offer Node stuff now through their service. But if you yep. do any of those things and you like the idea of your code running in an easy to uh, scale out um, sandbox where you get all the advantages of running your code in the environment you want without all the hassles of actually having to maintain everything, check out Engineered and Orchestra.io. Yeah, and I, I think they even have like they have some special stuff with. Is that it? They have some. Uh, no, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. No, it's probably some. Com- it's probably some competitor of theirs. I was thinking of. But, uh, so I better keep my mouth shut. Anyway, no. Uh, NGR is awesome, and we've been really happy uh, to work with them. Um, and uh, have you tricked them to segue this into our first topic? Have you tricked them into sponsoring True North PHP? Yet? They punked out. Oh, those those whores. They punked out. I think it's a I think it's a case of um too late in the year and not enough notice. They've already blown their marketing budget for the year. Although I suspect they're throwing money at uh a Connect Triple Action uh conference that's in uh whatever what what's it called? Code Connection? What is Code it? Connects XX. Connects XX. So I think it's, so real it's triple yeah. X. It's two X's actually, not is three. It? Oh well. And we'll probably Maybe talk in about Canada it'll be spelled with three X's. Yeah. There's a there's a restaurant here in well it's actually in West Lafayette called Triple XXX. You mean West Pawnee, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's it's people call it Triple X, but it's actually the name is actually written out as Triple XXX, like the word triple and then XX. So that's it's like nine X's. So to get back to the original your original right? joke, no mm-hmm. True North um, True North will not be having engineered as a sponsor. Maybe next year, but uh, this year it didn't work out. So you must have done something to upset them. Well, they, it's because they probably listen to the podcast. It's probably problem number one. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, given all the shit we've talked about them, I'm surprised they still keep giving us money. Who knows? Maybe we got our last payment from them and there isn't going to be any more. But it's okay. Yeah, We're not well, in it for the money, bro. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so... Like we, you know, we haven't talked about this a bunch and, you know, you mentioned code connects. We'll probably talk about that like next week when, if we can get Liz on, uh, Liz Naramore. But, uh, I wanted, I thought this week we could talk some first about the, this PHP conference you're having in Toronto called true North PHP. Correct. And, uh, I'm looking at the website now and it's got a picture of a, 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 a white wolf, which, um, does it, is this wolf, does it have a taste for human flesh? <laughs> Only foreign flesh. Oh, so it, okay. Right, so, well that so, makes so sense. So all the visitors from out of and town. The French. Are, and also what you don't see is there's a polar bear just lurking outside of the picture who's given the thumbs oh, nice. up. And then it looks like you use the papyrus font here. No, 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 no see, I, you shouldn't say me because I didn't do the website. So we can, prob- well, we can like, probably blame my partner in this, um, Peter. Well, Right. He so, whatever understand. idiot you had designed this. Yeah. Next year, um, next year it'll be less uh, Twitter bootstrappy and more something custom. I'm sure. No, it actually looks pretty good. Surprisingly. But yeah. So, yeah, uh, so let's talk about True North PHP. So, yeah, it's been it. like, where there has not there has not been a PHP centric conference in Toronto since, by the best of my hazy memory, 2007. Yeah, which um, is weird because doesn't Toronto have like 18 million people living in it? Uh, it sometimes uh, definitely feels that way. Um, but uh-huh. yes, there is, uh, um, I think, f- 4 million people, if you count Toronto, and then like all the cities that are 
that are like suburbs of it, basically. Right. So Toronto and then a ring of cities around it. Yeah, there's about 4 million people around here. That's a lot. There are, um, and there are lots and lots of PHP jobs. Yeah. So it seemed a very natural thing to me to uh, continue doing insane things and overcommitting myself and uh, organize um, a PHP conference. So I had spoken with, actually with Marco Tabini about this back in the summer to get some his thoughts on when he thought a good time in the fall was to do it. And he felt that, you know, beginning that first weekend in November was probably the latest you could do a conference and have people still interested in wanting to go to it because then you're starting to run into um, uh, U.S. Thanksgiving and then Christmas is not too long after that. And also, um, if you had to find um, a sort of non-technical venue, that those places were likely also to be quite cheaper um, once Canadian Thanksgiving is over. Um, not too many people are doing outdoor weddings and, and renting halls and stuff like that at the beginning of November. So, um, yeah. uh, But in the end, we managed to, um, with some help from uh, Corey Fowler and some of the other awesome folks at Microsoft, um, mm-hmm. Microsoft basically donated the venue to us for the conference. So we're gonna the conference will be held at Microsoft uh, Canada's headquarters, which are just at the west end of Toronto, 15 minutes past the airport by car. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a nice spot, three pretty big rooms. Um, mm-hmm. We have room for up to 300 uh, people, uh, 300 people who are hungry to learn some more about PHP. What if they're, they're not like, you wouldn't call them hungry, but they're kind of peckish to Pe- learn more? Peckish, well, there are three tracks, so they'll, okay, they'll have right. their choice of things. I know that we have those speakers list, and actually we have a few more people who are going to be added to the speakers list simply because... Um, some of them are sponsors, and we're hashing out, making sure all the sponsorship money is paid before we agree to allow them to speak. So, mm-hmm. um, right. But um, but yeah, we've worked very very hard to get as many local people and Canadians as we can to speak, and then rounding out, um, uh, rounding out the numbers with uh, just a little bit over a dozen um, non-Canadian speakers. So f- so for thirty six slots, uh, you know, about half of them are. Maybe about half of them are out of towners and half of them are local people, which is which is yeah, awesome. Right. That's cool. That's cool. Um, now, like, are you, are you like one of the main organizers of this conference? I am. It is uh, me and uh, my partner in this, um, Peter Meth, who is on like as in uh, addicted to. He is. Uh, he's on Twitter as Mister P Meth. Uh, he is actually somebody that I met when we rebooted the. Um, local user group here, the PHP user group. And he came oh, out right. to a bunch of meetings, and now he's actually uh, one of the co-organizers of the PHP meetup, too. And he's started making the rounds of the conferences um, as well. So he's been to Confu. He was at Northeast PHP, and he's uh, um, hoping to go to Tech and a whole bunch of other places. So That's awesome. Yeah, I think I did. Was he at, was he at PHP... Tech no, in Chicago. no, he. Uh, oh, yes, he was at Tech. Yes, he was. Actually, I think I remember well. meeting him yep. there. I might have made him. Yeah, met he him was before, there, but yep. I seem to remember him yep. distinctly more there because yep. I think we. Yeah, because I remember when I got there, I was literally just walking in uh, after parking my car, and and he was right there in the lobbies and well, stalking. I don't. Well, waiting. he doesn't. He doesn't have to stalk me. But waiting always. Um, but he was yeah, I, always waiting. Yes. He. Uh, I remember when I got to Tech. Everybody, I just walked in the hotel and, you know, tried to avoid actually, you know, speaking to anybody. And uh, people were like, hey, dude, where's Chris? Yeah, like I a know. Bunch of people asked me and that. And you're and like, what right. the fuck? I'm not as big I don't know. What? If he shows up, that's fine. But 
I'm not his keeper. Well, you know, I would have been then sooner if they hadn't, if my previous employer hadn't booked that dumbass flight for me to go from Toronto to Philadelphia and then Philadelphia to Chicago. I don't know the brainiacs who thought of that one. Yeah. Who were the mind, the ad wizard who came up? Yeah. Um, I tried to fly to, like, I was flew to Montreal or we was looking at, like, flying to Montreal. I didn't actually go. And it was, like, going to be, like, $1,300 to fly there. Yeah. Plus. Yeah. That's, that's retarded, redonkulous. But that's like how much that stuff costs. It's kind of silly, but well, it's almost it would be almost cheaper for you to uh, fly to like Toronto and then like rent a car and drive to Montreal, or even just take the tra- or even just take the, yeah. or even just take the train from Toronto to Montreal uh, once yep. you flew here. Yes, flights to Toronto are um, are way more expensive than they need to be because Toronto has the high pays the high um, chart not doesn't pay but charges the highest uh, highest like. I don't know what they call them, landing fees or something that the airlines um, have to pay. It's the it's the highest fees in all of North America. Weird. Um, and I think That's, and no. I think it's really it's because of socialism. No, no, it's not because of socialism. It's because because the government is dumb and a private corporation actually owns the airport instead of the government owning it. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So they have to. So like the government leases this thing to some private corporation and they have to pay the government. And it's anyway, I don't, I don't want to get into it because it just makes me mad every time I need to book a flight. We have been recommending that right. to, to our American friends who want to come to the conference. We highly, highly recommend flying to Buffalo and renting a car and driving up. Um, the venue's like 90 minutes from the border. So it's, yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of thought about, like when I was looking at that, I was like, you know, when people well, I was talking about going to Montreal, I was like, well, maybe I should just fly to like the northernmost city, like reasonable city I can get to and take the train, right? Or something like that. So, because it was just silly. Like to, for me to fly to New York, a direct flight is like $350. Right. You know, or 400 maybe tops. So then I've still got $900 left to get to Montreal from there. Right. So I don't know. Yes. Yeah, on behalf of all Canadians, I apologize for our stupid policies regarding air travel. Yeah. We're going to do. Sorry, I bro. mean, it's stupid here too. Anyway, but, um, so it's mainly you two guys. It's, and it, it's not mainly, it is just the two of us. So that this is going to be a disaster. Uh, it, you know, it could be, it could end up being okay. It could end up being, um, worse than my expectations, but good enough that everyone's going to be happy. Um, I mean, we've already sold, um, over 40 tickets. So, I mean, we're making good progress. Schedule should go up. If not tomorrow, it should go up on Tuesday. Um, so, um, it looks like, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. I was just kind of ramming because I was kind of watching I was, what Anthony I was, was saying. I'm interested in, like, like I'm looking at, like, what you did the website with. Is this, it looks like you, I guess you based it on uh, on Bootstrap, but then it looks like you've got some custom stuff. It's all, it's all roll your own. Um, we used, right. uh, we used user voice to do the um, voting and tracking of submissions. Uh-huh, right. Uh, and that actually worked out pretty well, although Pete did have to do a lot of massaging of the data afterwards to create a little mm. admin section so we could kind of look at everybody's talks along oh, with yeah. correlating like where they're coming in from so we could figure out. Because, again, being a community-driven thing, um, basically we're looking to break even. So it's not like we have a, a sponsor with lots of uh, lots of coin who can pay for all our flights. Right, uh, all people in. So we kind of had to pick and choose and say, get as many local people as we can. And I think right. most of the most of our international speakers are doing at least two talks. So 
Um, That's cool. So a little tip for people organizing conferences, get your out of town people to do at least two talks and that makes it, um, that makes it worth your while. I have been worried about the numbers, but, um, Pete has them all in a spreadsheet and he has shown me what our break even point is even paying, uh, with our budget on how much per speaker, um, to bring mm-hmm. them in. And I know what our break even number is and it's a totally achievable one. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not too nervous. Although I did let it slip to my wife that, yeah, we mm-hmm. could be on, on the hook for a few things if it doesn't work out. My wife like threw a fit. So, um, right. and understandably so, cause I certainly don't want to be cutting checks, um, to people after, after the fact to pay for things. Well, yeah, yeah. So we should be okay. We have a decent number of sponsors and, uh, having Microsoft basically donate the venue was, was one thing that really helped us um, keep the cost reasonable. I mean, our early bird thing was only like 150 bucks plus. Um, we have to charge. Yeah. We have to charge sales tax. Unfortunately, being in Canada, uh, right. and uh, if you're gonna, you know, I, I know by the time people hear this, it'll be too late. But uh, tomorrow, uh, the tickets go up to regular price, and I believe they're only like 200 bucks. So, um, 200 well, bu- pretty, 200 yeah. bucks for two days worth of of two days worth of talks, and um, you know. Uh, we have some pretty good talent that's going to be there at the conference. If you follow PHP at all through social media or whatever, um, most of the out-of-town people you should recognize. Right. So that helps too, yeah. hopefully, to draw people in. You got Cal. You got some of the the big names. We have the icon, and and no, and for Cal. those wondering, no, the only time I personally will be speaking is at the end. I'm doing the closing um, talk. Well, thank God. Uh, then people can just take off. Yeah, they can just that. take off. They don't need to hear me. Although I, I am tempted as we get closer, that if we reach certain levels of ticket sales, I will do something more and more ridiculous um, for the closing talk. So I have to think of an incentive to uh, to get it all going. Oh, this is cool. You got Ilya Elshanetsky, whose name I always have yes. to be, say slowly, but I mean, he's been around a, a long time. Really, really uh, big name. And it, uh, and it helps that number one, he's local. And because um, he uh, he lives and works just north of Toronto, and also um, Peter works for him, so that's another thing that kind of helps. Plus, I've known Ilya forever from other conferences as well. So it, it's kind yeah. of it's kind of it's kind of funny how how I, I ragged on um, I ragged on Brooklyn Beta about it one time being yep. just an excuse to have all your friends come and hang out. And in many ways, as you start planning a conference. Uh, and you start knowing some of the speakers, it does end up being a lot of your friends coming and hanging out with you and giving talks. So, well, um, you know, my feeling about that is I, I, I mean, I haven't been a conference organizer, but you know, I've spoken at a bunch of conferences. It doesn't surprise me if people are going to, you know, they're going to be happy to pick folks that they know are going to do a good job. Right. And so people they're familiar with, it's going to, you know, it's understandable that you're, that you're going to, pick up folks who you have some familiar with as opposed to somebody you have no idea about. Oh, right? for sure. There is comfort in, in, uh, in knowing the speakers and knowing, knowing that they're, they're going to deliver. Cause you know, I certainly wouldn't want to invite somebody here who I've seen speak. And if they did a shitty job, I'd be like, I don't want them coming and uh, dropping, right. a, dropping a deuce on my conference, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, I mean, the whole purpose of this was to exp- uh, part of this is to a uh, double pronged attack along with the user group to expand the PHP presence in Toronto. It's just ridiculous that it's such a big urban area that um, that we can't find enough people to run to come to a conference. It, I mean, we, we'll get enough people. I have no doubts in that. It's just kind of interesting. Um, it, right. it, it makes me wonder what um, what marketing channels I'm missing. Uh, 
what people I need to talk to, where do I need to get some visibility to get more people involved, not just in the, not just coming to the conference, because that would be cool, but to come out to the user group. Yeah, right. I dig you. Um, I guess. I, so I'm interested to hear like so far, uh, what are some things that like, have you, well, let me ask, have you enjoyed any part of doing this so far? <laughs> and like, what, what's the stuff that's been, that you're, that's been difficult to deal with? Um, chasing sponsors. Um, that's been hard because uh, I don't like to beg for money. So yeah, um, right. no, I know uh, what you mean. So I mean, that's yeah. been okay. I mean, um, some of the stuff is like, I wouldn't say anything's been like not enjoyable. I'm sure as we get closer and closer, I feel stressed out. I mean, again, having personal relationships with so many of the people who are going to be at the conference means it's, um, it's easier to smooth things over if uh, an individual has a bumpy experience, like say their flight is shit or I got to go pick them up from the airport or, or there's right. some problem at the conference itself. It, it's easier to, to deal with because I know these people because you can kind of help them as a friend instead of feeling like it's an obligation because they're a speaker. They're like a friend first and a speaker second, you know? Yeah, I know what you um, mean. So just the thing I... I, the thing I worry about is just anxiety about it, about I want to provide a top-notch experience, not just for the attendees, but for the speakers. I want it to be worth their while for them to commit to come. Because, I mean, right. I've spoken at tons of conferences, and I know it's it's stressful to travel. It's stressful to prepare talks, um, especially if you've if it's a talk you haven't given before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all those things all kind of add up. So I'm just... I know it's the first time I want it to go off really well. And I'm just struggling with kind of some things on like, what can we, what can we do for the attendees? Um, other than, you know, other than just giving them high quality people uh, to hear present stuff. Like I don't like, I don't like loot bags, but do we need to do them? Can we do something different? Um, Pete talked about maybe we could offer people USB drives, but so what, what can we put on them? I don't want to just do marketing materials. You know what I mean? It's like, you want to make it kind of cool yeah. and kind of, kind of different. And, and part of me says, this is the first time that you're doing it. So don't worry about it being unique and special because if this thing goes the way that I want it to, then there'll be plenty of interest in doing it again. And then when we do it a second time, now that we've kind of been through it before, yep. Um, you know, like, like I didn't find the call for paper thing particularly stressful. Um, Pete and I basically zipped through and picked all the talks in like 45 minutes or less. And no, we didn't do the print them all out and throw them down the stairs like I was threatening to do. Um, I found that whole part um, to be incredibly non-stressful. Right. It's just everything else. Um, it's just, yeah. it's just the worry that, that it's going to go crap and, and that a crap conference will be um, a poor reflection upon me. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, uh, I, I, I haven't ever organized a conference, but I think the closest I ever had was when I was a kid, like I was 18 or 19, like I tried to organize a few, like, you know, shitty punk rock shows at like VFWs in my, you know, where I live. Right. And, uh, that was like, it was really hard to have fun at your own thing. Right. Cause you're so worried about everything going off. And then like, at these kinds of, you know, the things I was doing, you had to worry about kids, like, you know, getting drunk and you had to have some kind of security and like some kids sets off the fire extinguisher and, all, you know, it's just, it was, it was, a, you know, it was really stressful. Right. Um, and I kind of decided eventually that I wasn't really cut out for that, but um, I could, you know, I can understand that's, that's the stuff you're kind of stressing about and um, about making sure that, you know, People feel like they're getting value for their money 
uh, that pe- the speakers feel like that it's an enjoyable experience for them. Um, you know, stuff like that. And that, that's, that's a, it's, so it's, it's kind of a tough thing to get You're I would think the, the experience is very different than just going there and showing up and being like, Hey, this is cool. You know, because you have so much stuff you kind of have to think about, like, if you don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Exactly. Know? And then, you know, we have to worry about, you know, we have to get lanyards and get the badges printed and we have to get a banner with all the advertisers, logos, all the sponsors logos on it and stuff like that. So, um, right. Um, we do have a plan and a timeline and when we need to get all thing, all those things done. So in that respect, I mean, I kind of do know what needs to be done. Um, it's just, you know, I'm not really a perfectionist. It's just like, I want it to go well. Um, you know what I mean? Right. Beca- because like, yeah. like I said, I just feel like if this is a crappy, how can I put this? If, if it's crappy, I feel like everyone's going to be snickering at me for it. And, uh, well, yeah, you don't and that, it. and that'll lead to yeah. fist fights and me being way more aggressive than I normally need to be. So yeah. I, I don't want that. Now, I'm wondering, so there's this, there's always a, one thing that's, that's come up and it kind of came up w- with stuff where some other conferences where I had more insight into how organizational stuff went. It's this balance between, um, you know, money incoming, money outgoing. Like you've got, like, how much do you charge for tickets? And then how much sponsorship do you get? And then... Um, do you, because if you make certain decisions like, oh, I want to be able to pay for speakers, say hotel and airfare, let's just say you want to do that. Well, the amount of money and or sponsorship you have to get is going to be significantly more than if it was just, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. You know, if you want, you know, it's great if you want to come and you'll say, get a free ticket to the conference, but you don't, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Um, I was wondering about, I was interested to hear sort of what your guys thinking was about some of that stuff. Cause it sounds like, well, you are aware of your limitations um, and you, you tried to get a lot of local guys. You do have some people coming in from, you know, from uh, out of town or out of the country. Um, uh, we do. You have I to mean, cover those. What we did is that we sat down and we figured that um, every person that we would have to f- every person that we'd have to fly in, we were basically mm-hmm. looking at budgeting like a thousand bucks to cover that. That was right. what we thought it would do. And so then that encouraged us to find as many local people as possible. And we told those people, you know, uh, you're local. We, you know, we know you can drive here. If you like a hotel, we can get a hotel, but we're not going to be paying your gas for you to drive here if you're within drive. Right. And so there's a couple local people. Yeah. And for the out of town right. people, we want to make sure there were people that we thought would do a good job. And I don't mind paying for those people. And then it's just a, it's just a case of then you kind of work, you kind of work backwards. Like we know we have some money already from sponsorships. And then we kind of just go back and say, okay, well, you know, if we offer this, how many people, how many tickets do we need to sell? What's the break-even point? Right. Um, and then we look at that point, and it's like, okay, if that's reasonable, uh, then let's go ahead and do it. If not, I mean, another thing that we did, uh, we uh, stole something shamelessly that uh, um, JSConf in Europe does, um, that any, um, any speaker whose company or if they themselves can pay for their own travel – immediately right. becomes a sponsor of the conference oh, right. at no extra cost to them. So if their company is willing to pay to send their person, well, they um, they, they get to be a sponsor and their name will be there on all the material and stuff. So, and that, right. that also means that we then don't have, that means that then we don't have to pay them. We can then turn around and use that money to bring somebody else in that we want to get. So, yeah. um, so like I said, our, our, um, our break even number is like a hundred, right? If we get a hundred, right. hundred paid attendees, then mm-hmm. we're going to be just fine. 
And you, uh, and but uh, it's it's pretty inexpensive. I mean, you're talking one fifty for early bird yeah. and two hundred normal price. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, right. it's not that's it's not expensive. That, that's the thing. Like if you like if you were to say that, uh, like Northeast PHP, right? It's kind of a model for the way you're looking at a conference. They were able to keep it so cheap because they didn't pay speakers anything. Right. right. You had to get there under your own dime. If we did that, then yeah, we could probably make the conference fifty bucks. Right. Right. But again, we we have two days. We wanted to provide. We, we also have to provide food. Food is probably the food is one of them. I mean, of course, the, to reimburse our speakers is the number one expense. So people organize who don't know what goes into a conference. That will be your number one expense flying people in. Uh, right. And then food is the second biggest one. Um, we have the numbers for the food. Luckily, we're in the position where we're only going to have we're only going to have to pay for what actually gets eaten. Like, you know, what gets used, it's not like we, oh, okay. yeah, we don't have to like, it's not like we have to buy food for, cause we can have up to 300 people at the venue. It's not like mm-hmm. we have to buy food for 300 and that we're screwed if we don't get 300 people coming. Okay. The caterer was like, oh no, we're just going to charge you for whatever gets eaten. So you don't have to panic and worry about that. So, uh, so the, by caterer, you mean like a soup kitchen? <laughs> no, not a soup kitchen. My, oh. Microsoft has their own caterer there. So we're using them. Yeah, that's correct. Well, you know, I, I, a little bit of insight. Folks who I've known who have done conferences uh, and like uh, if you do like a lot of places, they'll do a hotel or some kind of venue that handles this stuff all the time. Uh, the prices that you will pay for stuff is insane. Well, I will. Like, I, I, yeah, I, like, oh, I know. It's like stuff it like, sounds like, like, like $100 for a pot of coffee type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's nuts because they're like, you can't bring in anything outside. Because it, there's well, for in a lot of cases, there's laws against that. Like you know, you can't bring in food to an outside restaurant or things like that. So if you're here, you have to let us cater it, and we will. You're sort of captive to their rates. You know what I mean? So it is nuts the kind of money they will spend just for like having coffee between sessions. I will say this: that I, I helped organize the very first Cake PHP conference, Cake Fest, back mm-hmm. in 2008. Uh, right. And when I compare what they charge for food to what Microsoft's caterer is charging, Microsoft's caterer is extremely reasonable. I, I, when we were going over the numbers and stuff, I didn't feel like we were getting um, jerked around at all. That's um, good that to the, know. Num- the numbers were very reasonable. We're having pizza one day and um, sandwiches the other day, along with coffee and um, all the coffee we can drink and all the soft drinks um, that the people consume. So, right on. Um, is it a gourmet experience like PHP Tech? No, but we are. It's our first year. We can always build up towards something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, how much have you had to worry about things like dietary restrictions and stuff like that? Like, uh, I haven't consulted anybody at all. It's going to be like if if one of our speakers has a problem, um, we're going to do what we can to try to accommodate. Him. If it means that Chris gets in his car and drives someplace and go get some food, well, then that's what I do. Yeah. Um, right. You know, I'm, but for the vast majority of people, you're either going to be having pizza or you're going to be having sandwiches. And with my diet, I can't eat any of those things. So I will be likely, um, off getting myself food from somewhere anyway. So, so you're going to, you're a fistful of meat. Yeah. My fistful of meat and a sweet potato. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So if any of our speakers and if anybody else who's attending has like a real, um, dietary problem, then, uh, they can come speak to me, and I can I can work out some alternate um, arrangements. We don't want to screw people over. We don't want them to not have anything to eat. If it can be reasonable, if if I can reasonably accommodate them, I will do the 
um, I will do the best that I can. Because like I said, if we meet that 100 ticket number, then we will have some money that we'll be able to plow back into other things. And if that means that Chris spends a couple hundred bucks on other food, making speakers and himself happy, well, that's what happens. Because being community driven means you pour all that money back into the conference and not into um, glossy uh, promo material. Yeah, I dig you. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other cool stuff to talk about. So like, what else are you going to have? It sounds like you're going to have some kind of on conference. Yeah. So there. I'll go over a little bit what we're doing. So the first day, um, we have a keynote speaker, this guy, Reg uh, Braithwaite, who I know from online, uh, is a Java Ruby and JavaScript guy who works in Toronto. He's a, he's a technical lead for uh, a company called Unspace. They helped run, right. they helped run, um, uh, throne, throne, throne JS game. There was a throne, Thrones JavaScript conference here. Thrones JS, it was called. Okay. Uh, where they had a whole bunch, of, they got a whole bunch of like top end ja- uh, JavaScript people to come in, um, framework builders uh, and library builders, and they had a little two day thing. Um, Jeff Lozell, fishy, he was here for that, so I got to hang out with him a little bit when he was in town, and I saw that he bought a ticket. I tweeted about that earlier, so he'll be coming. But um, so he works for them, and so he's going to do the keynote. He's a cool guy. He's also going to be at the same conference I'm going to be at in Sweden right after um, True North is over. So he's mm-hmm. so he's promised not to do a talk where he makes fun of PHP people. So because um, he doesn't do any PHP work, <laughs> but he, but he's more a big. He's more like a computer scientist and theory of programming and stuff. So he should be. He'll be providing something interesting. So then we're going. Stuff's all applicable. Yeah, it's all applicable, even yeah. though we write shitty scripting language stuff. And so right. then we have a hackathon on the Friday night where it'll be uh, Microsoft stuff and um, MongoDB folks are going to be there. Uh, so there'll be a cool stuff. I'm trying to line up some cool uh, prizes to give away um, for best things at the hackathon. And then on the second day, more talks plus the afternoon is all uh, one room is set aside for unconf stuff um, after lunch. So there'll be like, we'll set people up to do little like uh, 20 minutes uh, or maybe 30 minute lightning talks. There's if people yep. want to come and present an idea, we'll have one room totally um, devoted to that. So two days, it's over on the Saturday, and then there's a big uh, – we have uh, sp- space reserved at a, a pub within walking distance of the venue and the hotel. It's kind of halfway between them um, mm-hmm. for a social on the on the Saturday after the conference. Nice. So we can get all booze and liquored up, and then I can wake up disheveled and uh, get my wife to take me to the airport on Sunday, and I fly off for a week in Sweden. Sweden. Yes. Oh, yeah, I think you've talked a little yeah, bit. Yeah, at Oradev, big, humongous. Um, th- I think the closest thing to Oradev that I can think of is like kind of like OSCON, but in Europe. Right. Like mm-hmm. six or seven tracks at a time, and it's like a, yeah. like a week-long thing. Two days of just workshops, sessions, and then three days of mm-hmm. talks. So I present on yep. Wednesday, and I am, as I said before, the only PHP person presenting at the entire conference. Right. So I, I still have no idea why they picked me, but whatever. Yeah, well, I guess, I I guess my reputation is slowly making its way across the Atlantic. Maybe they just saw your picture and were intimidated by it. <laughs> but... Yeah, I am. Well, actually, I am smiling in that picture, so it makes me wonder why, hey. why I got picked. Oh, look at this! Oh, he's a cute Canadian guy. When I get there, like, wow, we made a mistake. Oh my god! All right, so enough about my stupid conference because I'll be talking about it enough over the next five weeks. As we lead up to it, so yeah, so lucky Mister Finkler no longer has to slum it with the rest of us in PHP. And no, <laughs> and well, I wouldn't say all that. So, so tell us some more about your your experiences with Python. What have you been so doing? So the the short version is that you know 
and this is kind of a running theme and something I've thought about a lot lately is that at least for me, the stuff that I work in, the languages I work in, the tech I work in, it's really driven by what I'm doing at the time. Um, and maybe that's a, an obvious statement, but I'm not kind of a person who's like, I just dabble in a programming language that interests me. There has to be some kind of project behind it or some kind of purpose behind it, you know, um, uh, for me to really get into it. Right. And otherwise, all of my attempts at, at doing stuff like that have usually have been pretty abortive, uh, you know, like looking at closure or looking at this or that. And in fact, I messed around with Python on a few different things. Like I wrote a few scripts here and there to do different stuff and it went OK. And I kind of, you know, it was it that all was fine. Um, but I never really delved in, say, deeply to it. Um, but at um, Effective Kin, we sort of made a decision to um, kind of invest heavily in Python for our server-side stuff. Uh, and that was a fairly significant shift, but we had, you know, at least a couple people who really had a lot of Python experience. Um, and we uh so one one project that was going on already was being developed in in Django and then other stuff that was coming up um we said well i think we want to try to dive in on this and and do the server side stuff in python instead of php and i i think a lot of that you know there's there's a lot of different reasons for it i think a lot of it just came down to um you know we have a lot of people who are pretty uh, I don't know if you call them elder statesmen, but but pretty familiar, like 10 plus years of experience in PHP. Like we have multiple people like that. And I think all of us were kind of frustrated with a lot of aspects of working with PHP. And so, you know, after kind of looking at stuff for a little bit, we said, well, let's try this. And so a project I'm working on now, which isn't public yet, but hopefully it'll be in a couple of weeks I can talk more about. But we're, but, um, and we wrote a couple things before this in that um, where it was mostly Flask-based stuff, right? So Flask was the primary web framework and then backed by MongoDB and some other stuff like that. I think using Celery for Q stuff, things like that. And uh, so I, I've been working like the past couple months, two or three months, uh, with, uh, with doing Flask uh, and, and a lot of JavaScript. So the Flask is the server-side components and, and uh, JavaScript primarily using um, Backbone uh, for the client-side stuff. Um, and so it's been interesting. Um, it It's a... I think it's a little bit... Uh, it can be a little bit nerve-wracking for a couple different reasons. And for, the first thing you kind of get into is like... Um, it's It's a challenge because you are thinking, especially at first, you're thinking to yourself, I could do a lot of this stuff like right now, I could write it in PHP and I here I have to figure out like how to make it work. Right? And doing stuff in Python, and that's kind of a struggle. Um, I think what I found, though, was that I found Flask, at least, you know, Flask-based stuff pretty easy to get into. Um, like, I found that uh, it was pretty easy to figure stuff out. Um... You know, there were lots of sort of small examples and you kind of build up from that. Um, I think that it was, you know, there's, there's, there's some, you know, there's some struggles you go into with it, but 
generally, I think, you know, Python's a pretty clean language. And one of the things that I like about it is that community, the, the sort of overall, the community of Python um, values readability a lot, like really, really values readability. Like that's sort of a key feature. And so that has driven not only sort of some, you know, stuff within language, but thankfully a lot of library development has been like that. Um, like, uh, if you ever read, like, the guy, Kenneth Reitz, is that how you Yes, uh, he's the guy who did uh, requests, right? Right. So he talked about, like, why he did requests and sort of compared it to, I guess, the traditional thing was the Lib 2 library, which I think is actually built into the Python core. Right. Um, and the reason, and, and it's true that if you compare it, like if you compare requests that he wrote to the Oralib 2, requests is way, way, way easier to work with. It's like, just make, it's, it's just much less verbose. It's very straightforward. I found it very comfortable to work with. Um, and if you compare that to Oralib 2, it's just like, it, it seems kind of ass backwards the way it was written. Right. You know, and maybe that's, it's just. I, it, it, and he talks a lot about like valuing readability as a feature, you know, that it's not just like, well, that's a nice thing to have, but no, that's actually a feature of it is that it should be readable and the API should be accessible and simple and that kind of thing, right? So he's done a couple talks about that. So if you go look around for, uh, if you go look around for um, slides on that, uh, that on those talks he's given, he kind of goes into some detail about that. Well, I like that a lot. And, you know, not everything that you get in there that, that every, you know, magic page or magic Python library you run into is, is as high as, as high quality as, as I think the requests library is. But generally, I think there's a lot of value put on that. And I, I found that appealing because I felt like I was able to pick stuff up pretty quickly based on that. I found that for the most part, um, the vast majority of stuff that I understood about how web applications work with PHP was applicable, right? You know, um, and I think it helps that I was not coming from an understanding of, like, I say knew how to use a, a relatively heavy full-stack framework in PHP, but wasn't really necessarily comfortable going, you know, sort of, like, without that kind of a thing. Right. Uh, I think it was, help, like, coming from my background of having worked with a bunch of different stuff, doing PHP for a long time, tending to uh, like lighter weight stuff and liking to sometimes build my own stuff if I needed to, or finding the lightest weight solutions possible. Um, that served me well here in being able to transition because I wasn't sort of tied into necessarily, well, it has to kind of work this way for me to understand it. Um, I think you find that there's a lot of commonality based on like how to, you know, how to routers, how do you, your basic routing stuff works and, you know, dispatching requests and junk like that. And there's a request object and a response object and there's cookies and there's this and that. And then there's sessions and the session stuff, you know, works kind of the same everywhere. And it's, 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 it's kind of common, right? It's a, so it was relatively easy for me to pick up flash stuff. It might not have been the same exactly for something like Django, which was, which is a lot more of a, well, you got to dive in to sort of learn how Django does things, right? As opposed to, Flask is, is really lightweight, and I, that appeals to me. That's the kind of stuff I want in PHP, and that's that, that was appealing for Python. Um, but I like, you know, when you're first starting out with something, it does it is helpful to uh, sort of have a, a like a guidance and and sort of like a 
this is the right way to do things kind of stuff because I think it helps you sort of stay focused on on those things. Um, and I found like one thing I found really helpful was um, so I use Sublime Text for my editing, and it's got the it's got I use this Sublime Linter package that, right. comes, that you can install, and so it automatically applies the PEP eight style guidelines. Oh, nice. To it. See, that's the thing I love about Python that they cared enough that they actually. They have all these pep things, which I guess are kind of the equivalent of like RFCs. If you're familiar, with, if if any of our listeners are familiar right. with RFCs, but for Python code, so things that sort of things that saying this is the way we want to do things, and so PEP eight talks about basically what your code's supposed to look like: uh, tabs versus spaces, how many of them, um, all that awesome stuff. Yeah, so they codify a lot of stuff like on the I guess you'd say in the language level, and maybe not exactly, but they they say okay this is how we think you should do python stuff and you do it in x way and that is very different from php in the sense that with php it's very much like uh you can do stuff the way you want to but there's no there would never be a case where somebody where something like i don't know psr0 would actually be which actually become sort of like an official php recommendation right like that would just not that would not happen and that's just the nature of it that's the nature of the community that's the nature of the way it is python is very top down there's a right way of doing stuff and that's the way you should do it and they they really that's of import to them um and php is not like that php is very organic and very anarchic right so it's just the way it is um but when you're starting out it is really helpful to have a tool that just says, no, that's wrong. You know, oh, I, if you know, you can don't use tabs and spaces. No, you should put this many spaces after your function, your, your methods definition, your function definition, this many. And it catches a bunch of stuff like uh, you have this listed in your import statements for loading up, you know, you load up modules and. Um, but you don't actually use it ever, or you define this variable here, but you don't actually use it, or hey, you define this, you you don't define this variable until after you use it, or things like that. So it catches a bunch of stuff like that, um, and that's really helpful. And I have to say, I looked at you know, there's stuff like that for PHP. There's like the PHP, C, is it CS code sniffer stuff? Yeah, um, code sniffer. Yep. So I looked at some of that, like to do that. Uh, I don't know, many months ago with with. Uh, with PHP and incorporating that sublime text and stuff. And it looked so hard because it was like, it, there was just, it, it's nice about the PEP8 stuff because it's like, there's one definition. And it's like, that's it. Right. And with the code sniffer, it was like, well, make an XML file to define your schema and do it like this X, Y, Z. And uh, I don't know. There's just so many, there's just a lot of different choices. And PHP is kind of, in a sense, it's about, there's just lots of different options, right? And 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 lots of different choices. And it was just, but the thing is, it was also hard to kind of get that set up and figure out how that was going to work. And that that kind of sucked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it was nice to have this thing. as like, well, these are the these are the if a pep thing is established, that means it's an official recommendation of Python, right? So as as far as I understand, it. so. You have a sort of a thing that says, "Well, no, this is the way you should do it." And I get you could always, of course, write it a different way. I don't have to put two spaces before each function definition. I don't have to, but it's not. It's not like it's not like it's a syntactic rule, 
but it's a this is really how you should do it rule right um and that's that, that's helpful i mean it's it's less crap i have to make decisions about right and i like especially when you're learning stuff at least for me i want fewer decisions and fewer things to screw up like i want to be able to go and say no this is how you should do it and that that sort of helps things along right um right now i sort of you know i feel like i have enough under understanding of things to like i can build web applications or modify web applications say that are written in flask or or maybe probably other python stuff i'm not sure i have a great understanding of like why it works the way it does i know there's tons of like this is how the language works things that i don't understand um people you know i i'll see references to things like you know method contexts and I don't understand how Lambda functions work in it. I don't really get that syntax. And the use of decorators and generators and stuff. Right. Like, Like I wrote a decorator for Flask, for a Flask thing to do something, and I sort of kind of get it. But if you asked me to sit down and write a decorator, I wouldn't really be able to do it from scratch. What I can do is I can look and say, oh, this is a decorator this guy wrote here. So I can basically copy that and modify it. Right. You know, I can, I can, I can. It's easy for me to modify existing stuff. I doing it from scratch would be tough, and I certainly couldn't go in and be like, "Well, this is how I would write like a Python thing completely from scratch." And like, here's how you'd handle cookies, and this is how you. I don't know any of that stuff, and and let alone the fact that Python is a is not just focused on web stuff. There's tons and tons of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with web work, and that I don't know jack about. I don't know anything about it. I don't really care. I don't. You know, I there's there's different you know Python implementations like in you know JVMs and, and other their own virtual machines and uh, I don't know anything about it and some of them are faster I guess or some of them are not but I really only care about web development stuff and that's what I'm interested in I don't care about anything else. Um, well, I mean, sometimes you don't need yeah. to know exactly how everything works in order to actually be really effective with the tool. So I don't. I oh, mean, I yeah. You know, it's like one of these things where you understand enough about web development that yeah, you know enough now in Flask to actually um, do something useful. So over time, you learn all that other stuff. Yeah, and I think you. I think it helps to know that what questions to ask. Like I can, like a lot of times I can ask, you know, stuff that came up like. I know how to do this in PHP, so explain to me how you do this in Python. Like, what's the appropriate way to do it? This And some of that has been sort of rote, like, this is how you... Like, there's 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 some good resources I've found, um, and I'll try to put them in the notes, um, about, like, uh, uh, that are basically, like, PHP to Python, like, mappings. Like, there's a wiki called PHP to Python, or it's... I don't know if it's really a wiki, but I, maybe it is. But it basically says, this is how you do this thing in PHP, and then this is the equivalent in Python. Right. right? Well, so, and some of that stuff helps. Some of it, there are no equivalents, um, but it's interesting. Um, like, one of the things that I find interesting is that we talk about that there's not an equivalent. PHP has built-in functionality for doing things like sanitizing code and validate and like input validation and stuff like that. When I say sanitizing code, I mean like you know, stripping tags or you know otherwise sanitizing stuff um things of that nature and some of it works better than others and some of the it, there's inconsistencies about the implementation but clearly people have thought about it a lot to the point where in php because it's a web focus it's a core language level feature like the filter methods in 
in PHP are, you know, they, they ship automatically with every version of PHP. And so you've got some basic validation stuff for things like emails and URLs and stuff, and also stripping tags and, uh, you know, uh, otherwise sanitizing stuff and, you know, things of that nature, right? Well, you don't, you do not have any of that in Python. Well, I mean, there is a good um, reason for that though, Ed. I mean, right. I've, oh, I've, I'm not, not I focus on some of this stuff in the talks that I do about um, building testable applications. Right. PHP was built for the web, Right, web right. web first, and everything else is bolted on. Whereas Python and Ruby started on the server first, and all the web stuff has been bolted on. So, right. uh, it's it's no surprise that PHP has a uh, a large number of of things built into it as part of the core that are tailored at um, doing web stuff, filtering, oh, import, sure. and escaping output, and stuff. Those are those are all things you don't need to worry about so much um, on the server, but are definitely critical critical functionality you need on um, critical functionality you need for the web. So, and that so I totally get that why that would not be a core level thing. But one of the things I found is interesting is that it's difficult. I, fa- I have found it difficult to find. I have found it difficult to find. Um, I have not found after looking for a few days any like here's just a li- here's just a library of like validation functions and sanitization functions. I found some things like there's a couple of like form um like validation things. Um there's some stuff to do. I did find some sanitization stuff with this thing called bleach. I did finally come across that that looks like it can strip and and do some of the stuff that you would do with like the PHP library HTML purifier, right. which is I think the best implementation I've seen of like doing a proper job of of sanitizing HTML. Um, so I've seen some things here and there, but it's interesting that it's it's clearly not as enormous a deal with Python than it is on PHP, and I think that that is just the uh, the nature of you see a lot more distributed applications, like applications that you're designed for that people will just take and set up on their own. You see that stuff in PHP, like content management systems. Well, and that's pretty much it. So there's WordPress and Drupal and Joomla and all these different like distributed web applications that people have, that people have developed, and they want people to take it and install it on their own systems and stuff like that. And I think part of the nature of that has been that PHP has had to deal with and has had to be a lot more aware of sort of security issue stuff that I think is less of an issue when you're writing a lot of custom applications. Um, and also, I think it just speaks to the just the amount of deployment you get with, with those kind of PHP apps that you would not get with, say, something like a, a Python Flask app or things like that. Occasionally, you'll see things come up in, like, say, Rails or Django or stuff like that that's like a framework-level issue. Um, but even then, I think the exposure level isn't as high because it's you have to know, well, the, the app's written, written in this thing, and then is the, is the application, does it actually use that functionality and stuff like that? Whereas if you've got a, a ton of really popular open source applications, like, say, a WordPress, like a Drupal or things like that, you know, like, well, I can tell pretty easily this guy has, is running a WordPress app. So it's very likely that this person has this, you know, vulnerability or, or what have you. Um, so it, it's just interesting. It's interesting that, you know, I think there... And maybe it's just the nature of that, say, 
over the years, PHP had, you know, had a lot of criticism about security with it. And I actually think they responded really, really strongly to that. And I just think you didn't see that with other platforms, right? With other stacks. And so they, it's not as big a kind of issue, maybe, right? What do you think of that? Uh, no, I think you're you're totally right because again, being, PHP being web centric, everything to do with the web comes first, and everything else is just bolted on um, afterwards. I mean, it's just funny when when I was at CoWorks um, Buffalo um, earlier this week, uh, where I gave my um, where I gave my talk, and I had my favorite line where I called all my uh, new coworkers at Cinecore a bunch of chumps because they work in an office and I don't. Oh, yeah. um, that uh, Cal was talking about how he loves building. Um, command line scripts in PHP and I kind of mm-hmm. grinded my teeth a little bit because I'm like yeah, PHP, I mean that's not what it's, you can do it but yeah. to me that often seems like that's kind of the lazy way to do it. There's so many other better way, better tools to do stuff server yeah. side that are more robust, especially things that, I mean, one-off things, okay, fine you, you know, you do something with PHP but if you have something that you're going to use over and over again, uh, why not break out of that shell and uh, and do something, do something different, uh, well, and use something that's yeah. well suited for long running processes and better at better at just coping with the um, with the command line environment. I mean, right. I think it's I, I, every I every every good right. PHP developer that I know does stuff way beyond just PHP. So they're all about right tool for the right job, and I just find it kind of funny that. PHP on the command line. Yeah, you can do it. I'm just not a, for other than testing purposes, I'm not a big advocate of it. Yeah, I think that um, you mentioned CLI stuff. I wrote, I've written actually a fair bit of CLI stuff on PHP, not a ton. I've, there's people who've written a lot more than I have, but I, you know, more than probably your average bear, right? And uh, one of the things I found was, one of the things that started kept, you know, kept me looking at Python was it, like compare parsing command line arguments in php to like the there's um there's a th- there's a library called arg parse that's b- built into python um and it is so much better it is just so much easier and you have to write so much less crap and the api is so much better that it is just night and day um getting you know getting the same the kind of stuff you sort of expect out of a decent CLI script where like, okay, it just spits out, you know, it gives you like the arguments if you don't give it any, you know, by default and it get help printed out. And, you know, how do you parse different kind of arguments and like, how do you, and, you know, okay, I'm going to turn this into an integer for when I actually parse it, you know, not a, and not keep it a string. It just, there's all that stuff. Just, it just does it for you automatically. It's just a little, really, it's like a little DSL for doing, for handling, you know, argument parsing. And that man, the stuff in PHP just is not, it's just really bad, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, bolted it's, on, and uh, right. like so many other things in PHP, people have just accepted that, well, this is this is how we parse arguments in PHP, command line arguments, so there's no point in uh, pissing and moaning about it, just get on with trying yeah. to work. And in fairness... It's a matter of focus, too, right? I mean, like, if people were writing tons and tons and tons of CLI stuff in PHP, you might see better stuff, you know, used for it. And I think there's a couple, li- like, there's a pair library for it, but I didn't want to go down that road because I'm like, well, now i got to have pair installed to do that stuff, right? 
And I didn't want to have to do that to just run a command line script and give it to other people at work or something like that. So, so, uh, that, you know, that was, that it, just the stuff that's, it's built in a place that's like, wow, this is just so much better for that. It is so much better for writing CLI scripts and writing command line stuff. <sighs> yeah. It's just because that, that's just really painful in PHP. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a good example of like something, man, it is just so much better, such a better tool for that. And I guess it's because that's a, that's a focus, you know, people write a lot of those, so they want it to not suck, right? You don't, you know, you, it, it, it impacts a lot more people who are in the Python community. So they want to write, they want it to be better and easier to work with. And, and it helps that they really value readability and accessibility of the API and stuff like that. And, you know, if you're, if you're, those are sort of the values of that community, those kind of things tend to win out, right? I, at least that's in my experience, right? So at at Cinecore, the the tool of choice for doing command line stuff seems to be Perl. Well, they, they yeah, have some old school Perl hackers on there, right? Um, so. And there's a lot of value to that. You can do tons of that. You can. It's just not as pretty as it is in Python. No, I mean, you know, I have always been a. I just readability matters to me, right? And so you'll. <laughs> I had, sort of a little argument with this a guy who's a big Perl hacker uh actually today at our little sort of local open source tech meetup and i was like well i think python really values readability he's like well there's readability on there's but no there's not like if you sit down and somebody who doesn't have experience with a program language before it is much more likely they're going to be able to figure out what python does than if then they're going to be able to figure out what a Perl script well, is. well i think actually ed that readability um only really becomes important once you've learned mm-hmm. another programming language. Because mm-hmm. you, you, mm-hmm. you put code in front of a non-programmer, ah, they're not going to have any fucking clue what it's doing. Yeah, you're probably but, right about but that. But once, once you have experience with one programming language and you're going to another programming language that uses um, similar constructs, so like the move from PHP, I mean the move from PHP to anything other than something wacky like um, Clojure or Erlang or something like that, uh, you'll be able to pretty much instantly figure out um, what's going on. So I think readability Mm -hmm. matters if you're having to to work with more than one language. I can see that. I think that's, there's some, there's something to that. I, uh, there's a language I saw the other day, I think it's called Cobra, which I thought was awesome because I'm a big Cobra fan. let me see if I can bring this up. You like the Stallone version of Cobra? Well, that's my favorite Cobra, um, is the Stallone version. Um, here, let me paste that into the channel. Um, boy, this is, by the way, running really long. I just realized that we're like already at least an hour in. Yeah, we're almost done anyway. Yeah, and uh, but Cobra is, it looks, it's actually, I think, a compiled language, and it has, um, it sort of tries to be sort of an everything, it tries to handle, like, like it tr- it's compiled, but it has a lot of niceties of scripting languages, I guess. Now, after looking at it and thinking, well, I really get this. This seems, I like it. It, it's, it The syntax looks very similar to um, to Python. With wow, the, does it ever. Holy smokes. Really similar. Um, the thing that I thought to myself was, uh, okay, so what's it like for developing web apps? And they're, as far as I can tell, I don't see anything that's particularly all that useful for web apps for like you could i'm sure you can write stuff in it with it but it's not like there's a strong web application you know develop community behind it or anything like that so they I, it may be of limited usefulness for to me because that's really all i do but when i looked at this i said oh well i can get what's going on here right and pretty simply 
Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, I think the things that we think about being intuitive, um, it varies a lot based on intuitive is just, does it match it? Does it match patterns that we're already comfortable with? Right. And, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, is it intuitive in the sense that somebody who has no experience at all in the area can pick it up? I mean, there's, there's differences about that. So I think, um, I think a lot of times we mistake intuitiveness for that. I'm comfortable with this for a couple of reasons. Um, because it looks like Python, but also I think that this is just more readable in a lot of ways. Um, I find it more readable than say, but I know I think, I think that it is more readable to me than say like Ruby is or Perl often is. I can read some Perl, but when per the Perl stuff sort of gets into lots of magic operators, that's where I'm like, I don't know what this does. So I can't tell what's going on. Um, but I find this more straightforward than, than say, Erlang or, or, or Ruby or things like that, just because I don't understand a lot of the syntactic sugar and stuff like that that goes into it. But once you become familiar with it, it's probably quite useful. It's just, you know, that it, it doesn't, you know, the initial, like, you know, com my comfort level with it is. That's interesting that you find Ruby to be not intuitive. So there's parts of it I like, but then when it gets into stuff where, I don't know what this symbol does, and I think it's meaningful, but I'm not really sure what it does exactly. That's where it gets a little confusing to me. Um, I think a lot of times, like I still, another, I, I struggle some with like reading coffee script for the same reason because I I'm used to sort of having some basic grouping of stuff. Like, and I, you know, PHP use like parentheses or curly braces for sort of delineating those things and if i don't have those i find that kind of confusing i'm not familiar with it not as comfortable with it um I, like i can kind of get what's going on but there's going to be more cases where i'm like well, i'm not quite sure what that does um with python i just it just i picked it up faster so how much of that is just i don't know it just works more like my brain tends to work i don't know Maybe it's just it matches the patterns I'm used to. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, but, I'm not saying that you know you're useless because you can't figure out Ruby. I just I, I kind just of am. Interesting that you mention Ruby in the same breath as some other languages that have a really um, distinctive syntax that is quite different from PHP and um, JavaScript. I mean, so I, I look yeah. at Python and and Ruby. Uh, in, in my opinion, they are. Um, they're on the same level of readability and intuitiveness mm. to me. Uh, right. And I have played with both of them. So yeah. uh, I kind of, you know, it's been a long time since I did anything substantial in Ruby and, and in Python. I've, I guess I keep getting dragged back into PHP for the big bucks that people keep throwing at me to do stuff for them. So I, like I said, right. I, just, I just found it interesting, but, um, but yeah, man, Python, that's cool. I think the thing that's interesting, though, and, and the thing that I sort of fear a little bit about this is, uh, well, it's, it's on a couple different levels, but there's just the idea that you've invested a ton of time, like, you know, in working in one area and one sort of platform stack, and then feeling like you're sort of setting that aside, and and maybe I am, maybe I'm not. It sort of depends, but the fact is that my... You know, what I'm doing in my day job is most of what I do. 
And it, lately, that's where all my programming is. I'm not, I don't do much outside of it. Um, and so as a consequence, that means I'm doing, I'm, I'm not, I'm doing very little or any PHP, right? Um, and that's, a, it's a little scary in the sense that like, boy, my familiarity level with Python, say that I'm working with this right now, isn't that great. And, you know, what happens to God forbid, if I have to find a job in the next six months, do I get a PHP job or do, you know, should I try to find a Python job? Am I really qualified, you know, to do that? Like, would I be like a novice to mid-range, maybe intermediate programmer in Python or not? I don't know. I probably have enough skills like and familiar with building web applications that um, I probably have a lot that there but uh, you know i you know the ins and outs of the python stuff specifically i'm not very strong at uh and then it kind of get you kind of get into uh and you know some of this has to be ego but it's sort of like well a lot of people seem to think that i know what i'm talking about with php and i get to talk at some conferences and stuff and that's that's really great and then i think about like well maybe i can go to some python conferences and i go there and i what, what am i going to I don't know jack about this stuff. I it's a very different you have a very different relationship with it cuz I'm going in there and I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I yeah, know, you know, I, of course having all the time invested in PHP that I have I think about that all the time cuz it's kind of like right. you know um it's like you have to build up you have to build up your skills with other languages sufficiently to the point where you understand them uh almost at the same way that you understand the other languages because then right. once for example let's look at uh our good friend who we should have on sometime to ask him about this stuff but travis Swicegood. yeah uh, right right about he no longer does any php at all and he's right. totally transitioned over into the um world of um python right because you know yep. he works for the texas tribune and their whole stack is Python and other things. And so that shows you the path that you have to take. You have to bust your ass outside of your day job and build your skills up to the point where your other language other language is as good as PHP because then once you're up to the point where you can be productive in that language, then you can finally discard – I mean, or maybe discard is the wrong way, but choose not to do PHP stuff anymore. In my case, right. my path to doing less and less PHP programming – is by building up the soft skill stuff about testing and organization and all that stuff where right. I find myself spending far more time talking about programming, talking about PHP, talking right. about strategies for building things and less and less time actually writing PHP, which means I have time to work on learning how to use other tools, right? Right. So, I mean, I kind of look at it that way. So either, you know, your path, Ed, will be build up your Python skills to the point where you're almost as good at using it as you are with PHP, and then you won't have to, then you won't, you won't feel that sting of throwing away 10, 12, in my case, 14 years worth of PHP knowledge because you just don't want to do it anymore. Because no one's going to yeah. hire me to no one's going to hire me to do the same work in Python that they're going to hire me to do in PHP, or no one's going to pay me the same amount to do the same types of jobs in JavaScript as I can do in PHP because I don't know enough. I haven't. How can I make up for ten years of programming in a super short period of time? You can't. Right. Uh, you know. I guess the other side I put into that is that if you have a, if you're strong in one area and it's still you're still doing the same kind of development like you're still doing web development um for example the stacks are pretty similar it's uh it's it's not quite like you're transitioning from like 
you know, doing PHP development to doing like job, you know, like J to EE stuff or something like that, which is pretty different. And even then you're still dealing with things like, uh, you know, cookies and caching and yeah, pretty, pretty, f- pretty familiar and, 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 concepts and constructs with just the syntax right. being slightly different. So that, so that, well, that was what, you know, transitioning that was not too bad with Python. And I think the fact that, I think it was probably easier with Python than a lot of other languages because um, there's just a lot of, there's generally good documentation. Um, I don't think the documentation, like the official Python documentation is as good as the PHP stuff. Um, They seem to have trouble like just telling you things like, well, what does this return? And I don't think the formatting is as good, but it's there. Um, And the documentation for libraries is usually pretty good. and it's usually pretty easy to find answers to your questions, right? There's enough people talking about this stuff that somebody has probably already asked that question before. Uh, and because it's a big open sharing, open source community, it means that people are talking about it all over the place. And it's not like you have one true, like, you know, monolithic source that all information comes out of. Like, say, if you're dealing with, like, something that was coming out of Adobe or something that's coming out of Microsoft or something like that. Um so I didn't find it too terribly difficult. Like if I've developed, you know, developing, you know, applications like I've written in, in frameworks for PHP, like Slim or stuff like that, going to Flask, for example, is really not that hard. It's not that different. Um, I think the things that you get into that are a little bit more complex is like, how does the stack build up? Because you don't have, there's nothing like, well, the, no, not really. There's, they don't do stuff where it's sort of the, the most common way of doing stuff with PHP is you have the you know Apache module, and then it just that it all happens within Apache, really, right? So you don't have that. You have a front web server, and then that's connecting to a uh, an application server. Like I guess we're using G Unicorn a lot at, at Fictivekin, and uh, you know, but it was kind of neat because uh, one of the cool things about with uh, with like Flask is I you were I was just able to like you know run it on its own like I didn't have to install a bunch of crap like I didn't have to go and like well I got to set up Apache and MySQL and all this stuff and I got you know or I'm going to install like a like WAMP or MAMP or stuff like that I'm not going to I don't have to set all that stuff up I just I can just run it from the command line and have a little debugging server and I can write my application that way and then. I can worry about like, oh, well, now I can turn it over to the DevOps guys and they can actually turn this into something that's going to scale up. Like they can worry about that stuff, but I can do the application development in this little nice tight environment, especially if you use stuff like virtual environment and PIP. Um, You have all your requirements in one place and everything's set up nicely for you. And there was, there was, in in some sense, there was a lot less stack setup that I had to worry about, which was kind of nice, right? Um, and I appreciated that a lot. That was that. That's sort of a nice thing. So I didn't, I I didn't, I haven't found the transition to be too hard, but it's certainly the case that I don't feel like I have a, a nearly a, a deep understanding of sort of how things work the way I do with with PHP. Or maybe it's just that I don't have this familiarity where I can be like, oh, this is how you fix this issue. This is how you deal with this issue, and stuff like that. So oh yeah, for sure you. Uh... You develop you, you develop a better understanding of the language by fixing all the stupid shit that you do when you make right. mistakes early right. on, for sure. But it's it's also it's nice in that it, there isn't as much esoteric weird stuff that I think in PHP. There's like tons of little disparate bits of knowledge that you pick up 
to know how to do things. Tribal knowledge, as I like to call it. Right. And it's just, and it's, it seems kind of arbitrary about like how you do X, Y, Z. And it's, it's a cleaner, it's a much cleaner language and stack. And because they really value that, that is just, that's, that makes it, I think, quicker to pick up. So anyway, that's sort of my, have been my experiences so far. I, I, I don't really lie. I'm one jealous motherfucker. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to leave PHP behind because there's parts, you know, I I think there's good work there and there's still good work to do. It's a uh, it's uh, a matter of figuring out like how do you balance that stuff. I feel like I have to have some reason like like okay, so I developed this little like a little small testing library uh uh called FUnit um and like I developed on that for a while, but it was really driven because I was using it for a, a project actively. Well, I haven't been working on it lately because I don't, I'm not writing, I'm not, I haven't been writing PHP for the last few months. And I just don't, I don't have anything to, that drives me to work on it. So I can't, it's hard for me to just work on the library for no reason. Like I have to have something that's sort of kicking me in the butt to keep working on it. I'm like that with my little uh, PHP tricorder tool that I built. Right. Yeah. I know, I know there's more I can do with it and that there's more I want to do, but I'm kind of like, I'm not using it for anything right now. So it's kind of like. I worry that it's going to end up being abandoned where that's just going to sit up on my GitHub page and, uh, yep. and no one's ever going to work on it. Cause it's kind of like, well, it kind of does what I want it to do now. It's more like I need right. to, I need to get some other people using it and, uh, and get them to find interesting things that they feel that it needs to be added to it to yeah. make, it a, make it a more useful tool. Right. So that's hard. You don't want to give up on that stuff. No, right? I know. Cause and... I did put some effort into it, but you know, it's just, it's more like I get what you're saying. Like for me, it's the same way. Tools are all driven by, problems i face in whatever environment i'm doing most of my work in so if it's work stuff then yeah once in a while i'll I'll rip off a tool that makes some problem easier uh easier to handle and you know i had the idea of of the tricorder thing was kind of like can i create something that kind of takes some people's shitty code and if they can wrap some doc blocks around it then at least i can use this thing to look at and make some suggestions on what they can do to test but we're, we're straying off off the whole python experience the same but yeah ed, ed that's awesome mm-hmm. dude like i said python is such a good fit for lots of people based on the way that they think and and python i think espouses a lot of what's good about software development and tries to keep the tries to keep the magic and i think most importantly the douchebagginess of development um to a minimum python seems yeah. to care a lot more about everybody being cool to each other than uh than encouraging people to do slides with um, uh, strippers and swear words in them. Yes, that's nice. Um, uh, yeah, I found the community to be strong, um, helpful without being too douchey about stuff, and that's really nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, it's a good community, and uh, I, I, and, and a helpful community that wants to, you know, uh, encourage other people and get people into it. So it's, it's real positive. And so generally it's been a very positive experience. Um, you know, like I said, I've got some, I got some mixed feelings because I don't, I don't really want to just give up on <laughs> PHP stuff, but it, again, it's sort of, they're driven on what, what I'm doing right now. So, you know, if, if my next project is PHP focused, I'll probably get back into that. I, you know, I don't know. So, commu- so. community is a nice segue for us to wind this thing down. <laughs> 
Um, That's a good idea. So as we said earlier, this is episode number 20, and uh, mm-hmm. I know I talk a lot of shit and I talk a lot of smack on Twitter, um, at both everybody and at Ed. And so we've made it to 20 episodes, and a lot of the stuff, no, I would not be motivated to do any of this if not for two things. For... Um, for the for the chance to uh, just talk about programming stuff with Ed, I love Ed. Don't get me wrong. I talk a lot. I, I make mother jokes. I insult him. I do all these other things on Twitter. But deep down inside, I like Ed, and um, Ed is the reason why I agreed to do these um, to do the podcast. So thank you, Ed. We've done. We've made it to twenty. Oh, Let's see if we can get to another twenty. Yeah, that's really awesome. I I really enjoyed doing this stuff, um, uh, and it's been tons of fun. And it's been really great working with you on this stuff. So I'm I'm excited that we got to 20. It's pretty darn good, I think. Yeah, I think it's and, awesome uh, we got to 20. Yeah. And also on top of it all, too, I mean, uh, this has been enjoyable. I haven't found this to be a, to be a chore, none of this. Even having to tell Chris Schiffler I apologize for being a dickbag about uh, Brooklyn Beta. I'm not sure you actually apologize. So anyway, I- we've reached the end. Uh, this has been episode <laughs> number 20 of the Development Hell podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us online at devhell.info, where you can find archives of all our episodes. We are on iTunes. You can find us there. And please, 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 please go and rate our podcast. Uh, feedback, good or bad, is always welcome. It helps us make a better show. Also, we want to yeah. thank Engine Yard, our awesome, awesome sponsors who uh, deserve a lot more attention that we give them, especially uh, the folks at Orchestra.io. Uh, Engine Yard was a trailblazer of platform as a service. If you like the idea of running your code in a finely tailored sandbox that can then be scaled at the flick of a switch, uh, please check out Engine Yard. Uh, so you can find our, we have a Twitter account, uh, dev underscore hell. Um, you can find me, Chris Harches, online on Twitter at uh, Grumpy Programmer without the U. You can find Ed at Funkatron with the U. As always, thank you very much to all the people who hung out in IRC. Thanks for listening to the stream, and we will be back soon with episode 21. Take care, everybody. Good night, Internet.